You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. There we go. Eight o'clock. Two weeks in a row. On time. Bam. That's how we roll here now with the new March. I'm promised to myself. How are you, people? Welcome. Episode 42, Sports Therapy Association podcast. How's it going? Um, if you're joining us live on Facebook, then welcome. Mark is here in the house already. Fantastic. Good to see you, Mark. And remember, if you do join us live, then um, on Facebook, I can bring up your comments and questions. You can see them on the screen. Obviously, if you're listening on the podcast, then you can't see um, these comments on the screen. But we've got our regular lovely people in here. And as always, we're really, we're so, so absolutely pumped to have you joining us live. It really is um, so rewarding to see that you've given up your Thursday evenings to um, join us here on the Sports Therapy Association podcast recording. So welcome everybody, Harry, Emma, Sarah. You can also join us on YouTube if you don't like Facebook. Um, and you can also write comments on YouTube and I can bring them up here. So you have got YouTube as well if you'd like to join us that way. Um, hey, Becky. Hey, Danny. Hey, Scott. Hey, people. Wow, they're filling up. Excellent. Lovely to see you all. So um, episode 42. How exciting. Um, but how to stay evidence informed. Well, anybody who knows me can obviously sense that I'm twitching and very excited because it's a it's a um, subject very I feel very passionate about. Um, probably too passionate. So I'm really excited to bring up our guest um, tonight shortly, uh, Jamie Johnston of the Massage Therapist Development Centre, MTDC for short. Um, so yeah, really excited about that. Um, before I do, um, then I must remember to thank um, Bonnie Southgate from episode 41 last week, which was brilliant, wasn't it? I had someone emailing me saying, Matt, you were just so happy. And so and it was, I felt really good about it um, because it was a topic I didn't really know about. You know, I do my best to stay up with the evidence and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But you know what? Hypermobility and hypermobility syndrome um, and all the various different diagnoses I knew very little about. And that really excited me. It was it's lovely being put into the kind of student chair again, um, if you're a teacher. And it, and and Bonnie was just a fantastic person to to teach us about that. Um, if you didn't see it, then um, it's available on YouTube if you like watching the video. It's available on all podcast players if you like listening to the audio. Um, and it was a cracking session. I mean, I always say them, but it was really, really good. Um, so how to kind of spot hypermobility potentially in hypermobility syndrome, the difference to recognize it, screen for it. And also presented once again, we talked about this, another theme, which I'm really enjoying, which is coming out of the guests we've brought you so far on the show, where we are in a unique OK, and I don't use that word lightly, lightly. We're in a unique position as soft tissue therapists where people do come to us, as Bonnie was saying, when they're in pain. A lot of the time people think I need a massage OK, because this is hurting. So just as it was kind of mentioned in the rheumatology episode with Jack March, that was episode 38. It was mentioned in the male pelvic health with um, guest Bill Taylor in 25 and also the female women's pelvic health with Gwania Donnelly, 24. All of those episodes kind of should make you feel in quite a powerful position where as long as you know what to look for and you ask the right questions, you're not going to diagnose these things. OK, but you're going to recognize that maybe this person needs to go and see somebody. OK, and in all of these cases you're talking about in the case of the um, hypermobility, you could be cutting down on what's often 10 years of lack of diagnosis for a particular syndrome. 
Okay, you could be saving someone's life if it's a male pelvic health issue where uh, Bill was talking about the huge rate of suicide in males who just don't talk about the issues they're having because no one really asked them because there's a bit of taboo. Um, and with women's pelvic health as well, you could be saving an awful lot, again, a lifetime of misery and suffering and shame and misunderstanding because you're not asking the right questions. So that's another reason I was so happy because it really made it exciting for me. Obviously, my bias is where we can actually, yes, we're going to move on from the idea we got magic hands, but it's about let's get famous for having I did write down magic ears, but it just it's a rubbish idea. But let's get famous for our, our knowledge, our listening skills, our ability to refer people on because we're not afraid to ask the right questions. Okay, Because a lot of these people come to us. Yeah, we talked about the masquerading, how people think it's an MSK problem. And so did the GP. So did the physio. So did the chiro. So did the osteo. Okay, so did other massage therapists. But again, if we've got the right questions, we open the doors to discussion and we hear some alarm bells ringing. And we've got the empathy and the communication skills to say, you know what? There's a card outside. Just give them a call. It's really worth looking into, you know. I'll still give you a massage, but, you know, get back to me next week. Tell me what they said. Bam. Huge impact on someone's life. Massive impact. So um, that's why I was kind of so inspired by Bonnie, because it just, again, gave us that message um, about understanding the evidence. Um, and talking of evidence, great. That brings me nicely on to um, the gentleman tonight. Uh, like I say, Jamie Johnston, I think from putting out the posts, and um, again, a lot of the regular crew in here tonight, I'm sure you know Jamie, I'm sure you've been to the mtdc.com before, very established website, very big on helping uh, the massage industry move um, into the, well, I could say move into the 20th century because it's still kind of dragging its heels, but definitely moving into the 21st century um, and thrilled that he's giving up his time um, for us tonight. So as always, if you want to ask questions, then bring them out. There's going to be a huge amount of potential here tonight for questions. Um, that includes on YouTube as well. So there we go. Without further ado, I should bring the man up himself. There we go. Hey, Jamie. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Very well. Um, yeah, sorry about the long intro, but I was so happy. I'm sure, I mean, I saw you sitting there smiling. You didn't think that let's be well known for our great ears as well that didn't resonate with you isn't it it's not uh, really a... no i think you should brand that <laughs> i think you... <laughs> that is not a rubbish idea at all i would wear a shirt that says i have magic ears if you produced it it'd be quite cool wouldn't it you know because it it's all the time isn't it run it well, i work with runners but all the time oh, yeah so-and-so's got magic hands oh they fix me imagine if someone said tell you what that therapist's got magic ears they just that listen a therapist actually listened to me when i was in there <laughs> yeah okay well now you've actually given me the confidence i might i'm not going to brand it but I'm, it. I, I feel good about myself yeah. right dude so thank you so much um, for joining us especially as you're not even um in the country uh where are you yeah. based where are you in i'm in victoria british columbia beautiful and meaning at what time is it there now is it an unearthly it is, hour or no it's 107 p.m so just beautiful. the afternoon fantastic very nice indeed um and you were born there i take it i was yeah yeah, so it's on uh, on Vancouver Island, which is pretty much as far west in Canada as you can go. Great. There's. I'm just thinking this off the top of my head now, as I always do. I write a crib of great questions and I just drift off. But Canada's really important in bringing out great modern thinking therapists. Have you ever kind of realized that? Are you proud of that as a country? No, I did. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I guess Greg Lehman and you know some of those guys. They're yeah, yeah. They're. I guess there are some pretty. You got, yeah, uh, you got your Paul Ingraham in Canada. Yeah, yeah he's in yeah. Vancouver. Your Greg um, Lehman's. 
Yeah, and then we got um, Melanie Noel out of Calgary, look, who's looking at all the research and with kids in pain. And you've got your Diane as well in yeah, S- Diane Lee Saskatchewan. in Saskatchewan. <laughs> Saskatchewan, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm not even sure. I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's older ones as well. Not Patrick Wall, but the other guy. I think he was from Canada as well. Um, uh, like Stu McGill is out here. Uh, you know, looking at the spine, like anyway. the spine and all that. And, yeah, yeah kind of just seems to chuck out. Well, there you go. So it's, yeah, be proud. I'm sure you are proud already. Canadians are always proud. It's good and rightfully so. So thanks, dude, for joining us. Um, so to start off, for people who maybe haven't heard of you, particularly people who download the podcast, tell us a little bit about yourself and how the MTDC came into place. Um, well, I've been uh, at RMT since I got certified in 2011. So I went back to school in 2008. Uh, so out here at the time, it was a 3,000-hour program. So finished the program and got certified in March of 2011. Um, so my background before that is I was an industrial first aid attendant at a sawmill up in uh, north of where I live now. Um, so back then was doing first aid and then uh, started with the volunteer fire department up there. So the, the safety end of things has always been pretty important to me. Um, and then when the mill shut down, I went back to school to be a therapist. And uh, when I found out that I could get involved in sport, as a therapist, I was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. So I, I started volunteering with a local hockey team here um, in our first year of school. So I spent seven years with them, uh, spent one year as the head trainer and medical director of the team, uh, spent a year with Rugby Canada with our men's sevens team, and I've been with Hockey Canada and the women's development program for the past six years, I think it is now. Um so as far as the MTDC goes, um, that kind of stemmed from a conversation with a friend of mine, a fellow by the name of John Goodman, who, other Canadian guy, he's got a website called the Personal Trainer Development Center. So him and I were having a conversation because I decided I wanted to start blogging. And, and he said, well, have you ever thought about doing just the Massage Therapist Development Center? And I was like brand new in my career at the time. I was thinking, I just want to blog to, you know, get some people to start coming in and seeing me. And I said, no, man, that's way far ahead. And he goes, he goes, no, fuck it. That's what you're doing. And then he helped me to to develop the whole thing. And, you know, so it's, it's been a bit of a journey with it because I kind of started off just, you know, blogging about first aid stuff and safety with patients and then started understanding how to read research. And, And the whole point behind it the whole time was to try to improve the profession. Uh, because I just saw so many holes in the profession that, you know, there are uh, things that, like I've said, that we didn't get the respect that we deserve as massage therapists. And I think part of that is because we were still hanging on to some old narratives that were outdated that needed to be updated. So that's sort of been the goal over the last five or six years with it is just to update some of that stuff and hopefully help some other therapists understand you know, some of the pain science stuff and, you know, some of the differences between what we were taught in college and, and what the new evidence tells us. Brilliant. It's a, it's a very common theme. I liked, I, I'm proudly say um, with other guests we've had in here, just bringing updating the evidence and stuff But on your website, you, I'm just going to put this on full screen so everyone can still hear you, but um, I love this page on your website in case you're watching the podcast or listening to the podcast. Yeah, if you're watching the podcast, well done. But if you're listening to the podcast, then um, you can't see what's on the screen, but I'm just putting up, um, the website, uh, look for MTDC, uh, themtdc.com. But I love this page um, on the about, um, and there's some quotes from there. Uh, Massage therapy is an industry is not where it needs to be. And I love the thing, this is your site. We want egos and agendas left at the door. 
that sounds like you're who you're referring to with these egos and agendas and how has that kind of made our career difficult or industry in a bad um, place I, th- I think there's some that are still in um, that are involved in continuing ed that are still teaching some outdated narratives that are trying to challenge um, the fact that what they're teaching is outdated um, and I think the ego gets in the way. I've gotten some emails from people over the years that are some pretty harsh emails that are basically saying, how dare you challenge this foundation of myofascial release and who do you think you are and this other stuff? Because the, I think the, I think what we've done is a lot of those continuing education people, they, we've put them on this platform that they're, that they're bigger than they are. And, um, and you know, it's, I don't think that we need to look at it that way. And I, I just remember when I first started with uh, Hockey Canada, Mel Davidson, who was the general manager at the time, had a conversation with all of us on a, a Zoom-type call. And, and she said, you're all being invited to this camp because you're great at what you do and because you have an ego, but leave the ego at the door. You're coming here and you've got a role to fill, and we just need you to fill that role. You may be the head trainer on your team at home, but we're bringing you in to do this thing, so leave the ego at the door. And I, I think that applies across the board and it's maybe the best, uh, I mean, Mel's great, but probably the best piece of advice that she's given me and some other people. So that might've been where that statement came from on the, on a site. I don't remember. And what I love about you as well. And I want to kind of just pass this on to people listening as well is I was just mentioning off air that I remember like kind of, because I followed you for a long time and I've loved the work you've done, but I've also really loved like years ago, everybody, and you probably know this people who are listening on Facebook, you know, you can mention this, but like maybe six, seven years ago, the, the kind of common theme was just to have like a daily digest of every, all the articles. Some of them were just huge. It was just pages yeah. and pages on Twitter and everything of all these articles. And it's like a, apparently at the time, a great way of maybe generating, I don't know, business, business in, interest and stuff. But then slowly people got bored of that, but you haven't stopped and you still do. I mean, I love your newsletter. You're still very happy to share other people's blogs and articles and people who you admire on your website, you've got credits to people like uh, Todd Hargrove and Ben Cormack. And what's that about? How come are you just an altruistic person or is there an agenda here we need to know about? Uh, well, I don't know if it's, if it's an agenda, but I think even when we were, <laughs> when we were talking offline, the, I, I really think that we need to highlight what other people do. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are putting in a lot of hours and a lot of work to try to educate others within the manual therapy professions. Um, and we need to recognize that. And like we talked about offline, I think especially as massage therapists, we need to learn from other massage therapists. I mean, some of the, some of the biggest influences in my career have been the Ben Cormacks and the Todd Hargroves and the Greg Laymans and, and who are, you know, Corey Blickenstaff, who are chiros and physios that have done nothing but help me every single time that I've asked them. Um, and love learning from those people, but, but they don't work as massage therapists and they don't fully, well, I guess Todd does rolfing and stuff like that. So maybe he does, but, um, you know, they don't work as massage therapists and we need to learn from each other because we're the only ones who really know what we do. We're the ones who are spending an hour, maybe an hour and a half with patients at a time who understand what a massage therapy treatment looks like. So I really think like the articles of the week thing is just sharing as much knowledge as we can, but we should also be highlighting what other massage therapists are doing and and bringing awareness about that because, you know, it it can be a pretty thankless job generating content and things like that. So I think the more we can push each other and the more we can build each other up, the better it's going to be for the profession. Really cool. 
really good um and we also mentioning i think it's something we're saying how one of the i've said it a few times one of the good things to come out of covid and it's always got to try and be positive and put on a nice pair of spectacles but there is hopefully a more coming together of therapists and less competition and therapists sharing each other's knowledge um this is where this whole podcast this particular sports therapy association podcast has come from um you guys in the ranks there on facebook coming together every week and sharing ideas um i think it's there's reason to be optimistic isn't it about the healthcare profession yeah. in general you know? yeah no I, I think we're i think we're getting on the right track um you know when we taught our course a few years ago there was people that would like get really angry with us. And like we talked about earlier, we've maybe changed our messaging a little bit uh, and softened the approach. But, uh, you know, I remember teaching this one course and this woman broke down in tears and was just like, you know, with, with what you've said, I might as well just dim the lights and put on soft music for a treatment. And I was like, is that so bad? Like, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, but then there was other people who, who came up and, you know, when you presented this new information to them and then all of a sudden you're, showing them how to do graded exposure came up crying because they're like, I couldn't move my shoulder before you showed me how to do that. And now I can move my shoulder. So it was, you know, and now when we go teach, you know, we start talking about some of the pain science stuff and people are kind of like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I've heard about some of the stuff and it's, it's becoming more accepted. And, uh, and I think we're moving in, in the right direction as far as the profession goes. It's good. Yeah. It's a good thing. Um, Cause that is obviously a lot of therapists still, I think still particularly in the UK, which is a slightly different scenario because we're not regulated or anything. And there are some very dodgy kind of um, companies out there spitting out therapists with the wrong ideas and stuff and not really evolving. But I think um, therapists should, soft tissue therapists should feel positive. We are going to play a very important role in the future yeah. because we've got some great evidence that massage can help. We've had episodes on this does help with uh, depression, anxiety. So it does affect the nervous system. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, we just got to start with that and make that better. Understanding that's what we're doing with the nervous yeah. system. Magic ears, magic ears, magic ears. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Brian Huxley here um, on Facebook. It's great wisdom. Um, thank you. Obviously, you were talking about what I just said. No, you wasn't. Of course. It came up before. Yeah. No, I was talking about you. Um, Becky here. I'm talking of wisdom. Becky, I'm. Miss Wisdom is here. Um, says knowledge is power. And we should share this power. It's good stuff, Becky. Exactly. So um, we should also mention you're also a firefighter. Yes, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, as well as saying these great things, he also saves people's lives. Um, how did that, how did you, how did you manage to fit that in? Uh, well, I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, I started in 2002. Yeah, like I said, when I was uh, working at the mill, I started volunteering with the fire department up there. So I spent six years with Campbell River Fire Department, which is three hours north of where I live now. And then when I moved here to go back to school, I joined up with a local department and spent 10 years volunteering with them. And then I got hired on with another department while I was building my practice and I was doing dispatch for them. So uh, it was a crazy five or seven years of just working nonstop, but um, did that. And then three years ago, I got hired on uh, as a career firefighter. So we work two days a week at that job. And then the other days I just focus on doing some treatment and blogging and courses and you know, teaching first aid and teaching pain science and exercise courses and, and that sort of stuff for massage therapists. And so it's all, it all kind of gels together. Brilliant. Yeah. I think there's a trend for a lot of people, particularly therapists of, of having kind of two or even three professions happening at the same time. I think and in the UK, that seems to be a trend now. The days of actually making enough money out of just one thing without going crazy yeah. is a number to a certain extent, having two or three things, which probably come together in some way. Yeah. It's nice to have forward. a variety. 
I think so. I'm no, I'm I'm the same. I'm the same. Oh. Right. Um let's get to some of the subject tonight then. So let's just get rid of that. So I've got some questions here. Um obviously we're talking about if you just joined us, you listened to the podcast, just to remind you um how to stay evidence um, informed. So before we mention the how, let's just have a little kind of summary on why. Why can you get by and just do what you do without looking at the evidence or is there some pitfalls of that? You, well, you can get by, but I think that's all you're doing is getting by. Um, so if you want to be good at what you do and you want to help your patients more, uh, then we need to start looking at the evidence. And, you know, I, I know that here in BC, it's a lot different than it is in most places because, um, you know, a lot of like nurses in British Columbia get unlimited massage therapy as part of their insurance benefits. So it's, it's easier to make a living here as a massage therapist than it is, you know, and there, and paramedics get the same, like massage therapy is very much a part of our extended health insurance here. Um, so you can make a decent living at it. And I remember a couple of years ago, we, our provincial association puts on a symposium every year and they brought up the group from Healwell to talk to us about um, treating people with cancer. And there was somebody in the crowd who stood up and asked and went, I have been a therapist for 25 years. You're telling me we can treat people with cancer now? And I was sitting there and I was like, in 25 years, what continuing education have you taken that you still think that it's contraindicated to do that? So while this person for 25 years could have had a very successful practice, they're obviously not staying up with the evidence. And I, I shudder to think about how that trickled down to the patients that she saw on a regular basis. Because if, you know, a lot of these things that are outdated narratives that that need to be changed, if she's still preaching those things to those patients, are they really getting better? Uh, so I, I think it's our responsibility to stay evidence-informed. So, so yeah, I think you could get by. Like, obviously, this person was getting by for 25 years and maybe had a successful practice because of the fact that she lived in a place where people have so much benefits. But... Um, you know, she's just getting by. She's not actually advancing or doing things that are going to make things better for her patients. That's quite incredible. I mean, the, the incredible, most incredible bit, which I think people in the audience are still kind of like rubbing their eyes to, was <laughs> <laughs> the, extent of health benefits. <laughs> the fact that you've got this tap over here, like totally different. Over here, it's still. Um, like you've got on your website about if anyone else asks me or makes a joke about happy endings, I'm going to yeah. kind of throttle them over here. It's still, we're still very much grouped into the beauty salon kind of thing. It's yeah. who represents us with government decisions. Um, we're still referred to as masseuses and stuff, you mm -hmm. know, um, hasn't moved on at all. And we've had episodes about that saying that sometimes it's our fault that we don't move out of that because of the stuff that comes out of our mouths. If we want other careers to actually listen to us and refer to us, we've got to stop coming up with some of the claims, which physiologically really just can't really happen. Like implausible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that only going to happen if you look for the evidence. So what do you think in your experience? Cause you see a lot of people on courses. What are some of the barriers? Why? Cause I'm sure a lot of people join this profession because they want to help others that there's little doubt you don't yeah. choose to rub people with oil because you well some people probably do but the majority of us we do it because we want to make them feel better so what are some of the barriers why do people not try and i think evolve? i think part of it is we get into maybe a bit of a silo and 
you know, depending on, you know, whether it's somebody who decides right out of school that they're going to work from home and maybe they're not working with a bunch of other therapists or maybe the clinic that you're working in is focused on a certain modality or a certain type of treatment that maybe you get into a silo and, and you're just, you know, your, your biases are being confirmed when it's just the same thing over and over again. And then I think part of the problem too, is that I don't know what it's like over there, but here, part of the requirement to stay licensed is that you have to get a certain amount of continuing education credits every year. And I think quite often people sit back and they go, okay, well, what courses are coming to the town that I live in? And they'll look and go, oh, this is the only one that's coming. So that's the one I'm going to take. So it's not mm-hmm. necessarily that it's something they're interested in. And it's not necessarily something that's going to lead to a more evidence-based practice. It's a matter of convenience of, oh, I have to get a course. So this is what I'll take. Do you have someone then who regulates the CPD and says this is okay for CPD? Yeah. So our regulatory college in British Columbia, the, in order to be to get your course approved for credits, you have to apply to the college and then they approve it for however many credits they're willing to give for it. Um, and, you know, not to take a shot at them, but there's some of the courses that are approved that shouldn't be approved. Um, oh, okay. You know, um, when, when you look at it, there's a lot of courses that there's, I mean, there's some phenomenal courses and other ones that there's just no evidence behind that. And I know that they're, they're working to make change to that now. Um, so hopefully those changes are coming. Um, and I think there's also a certain amount of just people being scared about reading research rather than just jumping in and starting to read it because they think that, you know, they have to have some extra or some extra education in order to start reading research. But if you really just start reading some of it, it only takes 20 minutes to read a paper. Um, but I think there's a certain fear associated with that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think I don't want to generalize at all, but I think a lot of the time people who move into the kind of caring, giving professions, not everybody, but they might not have done so well in the academic subjects at school in traditional where it was pounding. There you go. Hand <laughs> up. Not all the time. I, I know there's, uh, there's plenty of super intelligent, multi A level kind of educated people, especially if they go on to do degrees and stuff over here. We got, but a lot of the people who stop at level four, level five here, maybe they didn't have great experiences at school. So the idea of being felt, as if they're getting pushed into that chair again to a class of people where they're at the back and feeling stupid and everyone laughing at them and not understanding. It's probably quite scary. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of how we present it to them. So what are your tips maybe for giving people the confidence that you're not going to feel like you're 80 years old again at school and that it's quite accessible? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've got endless opportunities to be able to find research. Now you can go to Google scholar, you can go to SciHub. There's all these different things. Whereas, you know, before they were always research papers always seemed to be under lockdown in universities and things like that. And it was hard to gain access to them and you had to pay for them. But most of the stuff now you can go on Google scholar and, and find a paper, you know, regarding whatever topic it is that you want to look at. And if you, if you look at the hierarchy of research papers, if you just start looking at the stuff that are systematic reviews, They've, they've basically done the work for you and said, we've looked at a hundred papers on this topic and this is the common things that come out of it. And this is the most important things that come out of it. And I think that's uh, like, it reminds me of a conversation I had with Greg Lehman once where you know, talking to him about like, how do you find, cause he can sit there and just quote papers off the top of his head. And I'm like, how do you find crazy. that stuff? Yeah. I, I could never do that. And he said, he looked at me and goes, just find like three or four authors that you really like and just focus on those for a little while. So like a guy that I've recently come across that I love and we've talked about on our podcast is Ben Darlow. He's got some great stuff out there that talk about the contextual factors of treatment and that. And you can find most of his stuff on Google Scholar. 
Um, so start with a couple of those papers. You know, start with start looking at Louis Gifford's stuff. Louis Gifford is is a genius. That guy, you know, any and if you can read his books, they're done in a very conversational way. It doesn't feel like you're reading research, but you'll gain a ton from it. Yeah. Look at Greg Lehman's papers. Look at um, Lorimer Mosley and David Butler's stuff. So like those four or five right there, if you just started reading their stuff, you're going to, it's going to catapult you and your understanding. And it doesn't have to be that you sit down and read 20 papers a week, read one paper a week, take 20 minutes or 30 minutes and just delve into one. Yeah. Great advice. And I think it is the same. I mean, I teach English as well because I, I've, my first passion for, was teaching before I got mm-hmm. into so much health and fitness. So I still teach English to kids who haven't done well at school. I shouldn't say kids. It's totally not what teachers should say, but to young learners who haven't done well at school, because I still love it. I love communication, nice. helping someone get better in the world. But you see the barriers come up. And I think the same thing happens with a lot of therapists. First of all, they go, Oh, there's too many papers. I'll never get through them all. And yeah. you almost create these reasons not to just go Google scholar. Okay, let's look at that. Or let's go and watch a Laura Mosley video. You know, you find reasons not to do it very quickly because of fear. So, um, but it hasn't got, hasn't got to be that difficult, is it? No, we, we, you know, and I, and I'm just as guilty of that when, you know, I remember when I first started the blog and I'm like, oh, I got to read a research paper in order to write this article. And now I'm like, oh, where can I find that research paper? I want to find this thing about this topic. And it, it becomes a bit more exciting when you just make a bit of a practice out of it rather than making it bigger than it has to be. So I didn't see Em's comment here, but I, I wasn't picking on you, Em, when I said <laughs> that just now. But Em wrote down here, too many papers to read. Uh, many too confusing for me to understand, which to believe. How do we know if it's a quality study or not? Influence, too many questions. It's a great point, Em. Yeah. So take it away. You answer, Jamie. What would you say to that? I, th- I think it's if you just start with systematic reviews, it is probably the easiest way because if you if you look at those ones, they like I said, they've kind of done the work for you. They've filtered out what's the good and what's the bad and what's the ugly. And you know, if you're looking if you're looking at some research papers that are say specifically on a certain modality or technique, then look at who wrote the paper. And if the person who wrote the paper is the same one who's preaching about the technique, it's probably not a very good paper because they're just trying to prove that their thing works. And what research and science should actually be trying to do is prove things wrong, not not prove it right. So I think that's where, you know, you can find a systematic review on probably just about anything. Um, and that's probably your easiest entry into it. And then if you want to learn more just about research, you can start kind of going down the hierarchy and look at the next level of paper until we're eventually at like, you know, just clinical applications or what's the, I can't think of what the word is, uh, case studies, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and case studies are important because that's how we build research. And especially in massage therapy, case studies are very important because we don't have a lot of research in massage. We need to start developing case studies in order to build up research to get us to that point. And I think so. I think also, I mean, you're not going to say it, obviously, because you're a great guy and you're very modest, but also the sort of stuff you do, find somebody who's been a guest on this show, because then, you know, if I believe in them, then obviously what they're saying is true. And then, I mean, you put out regular articles of, hey, guys, look at this. So you haven't got to just look at a blank canvas. Just find someone you respect and you get on with. You like the way they talk and then follow them on social media and just look what they put out. I mean, the stuff you put out is brilliant. 
Oh, that's that's another way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's another thing. Like, you know, when I know when you put out stuff, like I shared, I shared this podcast last week in the articles of the week, and there's certain people that I can look at and go, okay, I know if Matt's putting something out, it's quality. I don't need to review it because there's consistency there. So it's the same, like if Paul Ingraham puts something out, I, I'm pretty faithful that it's going to be quality material. So, and same if Ben Cormack or Todd Hargrove or, you know, you, if you can find those people that you like and you know that they do the research and, and all of us are going to make mistakes and, you know, maybe look at the wrong piece of research and still write an article where, you know, none of us are perfect. But if you can look at those people who are consistently putting the effort in and you know that their, their intent is good and that, and what they're doing. So follow some of those people and it'll make your life easier because most of the time, you know, we're going to cite research that you could then, if you want to go look at that research paper that pertains to that blog article. I think the common theme between the names you've rattled off is because some people could say, oh, that way you're just cherry picking. You're just confirmation bias. You're just choosing people who know you're going to say what you want to say. But all the people you've mentioned are the first people. Greg Lehman, for example, the reason I love him is he lives to challenge himself. Yeah. He's always trying to find if he comes, if he likes something, right, I've got to destroy it. I've got to find reasons yeah. not for it. And that's all he does, which is why he's just so psychotic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's the same with Todd. It's the same with Ben. It's they're always trying to they do. Like you said, what science does, science tries to see if hypotheses are wrong. That's the way you've got to do it. You don't just say, oh, I think this is right. Let's find ways to support it because you're always going to find it. Yeah, it's and easy to find that. Yeah. Yeah. But poor quality studies, like you say. Um, and it happens a lot with soft tissue therapy when they're trying to kind of find support for the latest modality, which also they've got a course in, funnily enough, and you can sign up here. It's all on the yeah. same page. They're just finding stuff to support where they believe and anyone could do that. Yeah. Let's have a look at some of the questions down here because we've raised some interest here now. Uh, M, come back if that uh, hasn't helped. Um, M, if um, so, systematic reviews, one step to um, getting through that problem with so many too confusing. Let them do the work for you. Uh, Becky said, checking that papers peer reviewed. I mean, there are, there is CPD I've seen out there. Off the top of my head, I think Ben Cormack and Adam Meekins did one um, and it was online, which was about how to do research, how to, you know, look online and find quality stuff and kind of challenge your own biases. That's perfect CPD. And soft tissue therapists love trying to find the next CPD. Um, so try and find one on research. You know, that would be a great way of improving yourself. Yeah. Um, what we've got here, Catherine says, Catherine, Rimer, how are you doing? Catherine, let's have a look. There are still quite a few contraindications listed when you qualify as an um, SNT. Only over time that you realize that not all need to be a complete contraindication. If you read a research article to prove you can massage someone, i.e. someone suffering with cancer, are we covered to massage them? Oh, in terms of insurance. So how does the insurance companies decide? Who do they take the recommendations from? Um, Gary, are you in here? Um, that's an interesting one. I think if as long as a therapist, you can provide evidence to show that you haven't been negligent, that the stuff you've done um, follows a protocol and guidance and standards, then you should be fine. Yeah. Um, and you will find that in terms of cancer, pregnancy and all these other fallacies kind of where you're not supposed to work with these people. Um, I think if, yeah. you can, if you can rule out the red flags, um, you know, history of cancer, and it's it's important to take into account that a history of cancer means a recent history of cancer. It doesn't mean if they had cancer 20 years ago. Mm. If, if it's a recent history or if there's, say, a tumor on the spine, then we wouldn't put pressure there. But that doesn't mean we can't go and do a good leg massage for them. Because um, I know, like, the understanding here years ago was that because we increased circulation with a massage, there was a chance of spreading the cancer. But we know that that's 
not true. Um, and that's where the story that I used, that lady of 25 years, she was still, still had that understanding. So mm. I think as long as you can look at the red flags, and I don't know how your insurance works over there, but as long as you can rule those out, then you, I think you'd be okay. Yeah, good question, Catherine. And pregnancy as well. It was still definitely over here. Um, there's the misconception that, um, yeah, pregnant women don't touch them with a barge pole. No way you can cause miscarriage. Wow. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it's been dismissed a good few years back now, but it's still, you know, people worry and catastrophize. And, and it's true. You, you imagine, but then people say, yeah, but imagine that if you did massage somebody who was pregnant and they had a miscarriage, how would you feel? There's you know, no way yet, you cause that. <laughs> it's you could say what if they walked out of your clinic Stop and got run over <laughs> you know it's there's probably more chance of that so it's nice to worry about things like this but you've got to weigh it up and look at cause and you know causation and correlation yeah. it's um yeah and boy i mean in the clinic when we're there were a multidisciplinary team the amount of help um you can give somebody who's got cancer even if it's kind of like towards the last few months of their life life-changing for you you know as yeah. well as for them um and as for you know pregnant women jesus the same thing goes i mean they need that contact and that happiness and they don't need to be treated like an ill person again by a therapist saying oh no that's a bit dodgy can't touch you well what's so what i find funny about that is i don't know whoever came up with the original that it was contraindicated to massage them women have been giving birth since the start of time why do why have why have we bastardized pregnancy like it's the most natural thing in the world why, why would we think that rubbing their back is a bad thing? Mm-hmm. They like, it, that's just crazy to me, but yeah, <laughs> it's there. Anyway, let's have a look. Um, Hannah has got a question here. Hannah Lapka, how you doing? Um, I'm on a foundation degree for sports therapy at the moment and research is a new skill. Um, I'm learning. I don't always find it easy, but I think it's important to be able to be clinical and be able to justify what you're doing and why the more knowledge you have, uh, comments just moved up. Where's it gone? The more knowledge you have, the better. It allows you to grow as a therapist and provide a better treatment and understand your treatment. Cool. So, Hannah, you've when you say it's a new skill, was it recently introduced to the degree course? Um, I'd be interested in knowing that. I think when you get to degree level, um, then over here, then they are definitely they have a make sure that you're able to research and crit, there's normally modules on critical thinking and that sort of stuff. I don't think it happens on level fours and fives um if it's not a degree level when it should be but yeah hannah let me know if that was introduced this year when you say it's a new skill or is it just new to you but yeah good for you hannah well done but you shouldn't have to do a degree to get those sort of skills um sports therapy association not sure if this is gary um or not um could be jake but we recommend doing a specific oncology training course but in essence you would be insured we've got a planned web chat with an insurance specialist in the near future oh it's true we have yeah i should remember that um am i announcing it now no don't give stuff away jake we need to have some secrets here but yeah we are gonna have a great episode on insurance coming up soon um i think that is gary good and Annabelle uh, Sorovito says it's because most miscarriages happen within the first three months of pregnancy. Yeah. Most people die in bed, but going to bed doesn't actually make you die. It's kind of, that's the typical causation correlation, isn't it? Um, yeah. But there's no evidence says Annabelle um, that massage can cause miscarriage. Yeah. But it's a good example. And hopefully it's that opens the door when somebody goes, Oh yeah, it's true. It's kind of like that Matrix moment of Keanu Reeves. <gasps> Show me more. You know, well, things can be so wrong, then it means a lot more can be kind of wrong. 
Yeah, it takes the red pill or the blue pill. And exactly, it is that moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's that moment. Anyway, uh, what about what about what about money then? Because that's another thing people will come up with. It's just I've got the money. Um, it's going to cost so much to keep evidence based. We kind of said if you look online, it's free. But yeah. do you do you do you, how much do you think? Not how much, but is it the duty of a therapist to put some of their earnings aside to improve their knowledge in terms of evidence? And I think it is. I don't. I don't think it's that you have to put a fortune aside, um, but you know we wouldn't look at a doctor and say, "Oh, I bet you he doesn't spend any money on keeping him keeping himself educated or herself educated." Um, so why are we any different? Especially as we're pushing to be more recognized as healthcare providers. Um, you know, we've got these people on the table in front of us, and they're you know our our understanding is constantly changing, and and quite often people are going well you know, I, I like this old technique and, and my patients like it. And how am I going to explain to them that things have changed? And I just say, well, my favorite thing to say to people is, well, the re- most recent research has told us this. And a patient never questions that afterwards. Um, so, yeah, I think it's part of our responsibility to stay informed. And y- you don't have to spend a ton of money on it. You can follow the blogs of many of those people. You can go on Google Scholar and look stuff up. There's more... Um, cost-effective ways to do it, to spend a, a bit of money. Like, um, I mean, really what you're doing with the podcast, what you guys are, what I see in the comments um, of courses and things that you guys are putting on, those are all efforts to stay evidence-informed. And, you know, I've got a membership where I do, you know, monthly uh, presentations on different topics. And tomorrow I'm putting together one on um, central sensitization. Um, so for something that's 20 to $25 a month, it's, it's not a huge expense and it can be as simple as putting a podcast on and going for a walk while you're washing the dishes, listening to something. So you're not having to invest a ton of time into it. And it's, you know, you can still do it in a very cost effective way. Yeah. Gary, who's is Gary here, who's the founder of the STA sports therapy association. He is, is very vocal in saying that things like this do count for CPD. You haven't got to do a course to get CPD. If you can mm-hmm. send your association something you've read, something you've listened to, a podcast, um, if that's improved your ability to be a, you know, an evolved forward-thinking therapist, then that's great. That's CPD. It hasn't got to mm-hmm. be a course. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting you say that. M came back um, about the too many studies. Um, your reply was really useful. It's just knowing the right names to follow to get started with, which you're very kindly listed there we go thanks the other thing i've come up against is just how old some of the research is how old is too old that's a great question that's that's tough and i think it depends on what you're looking for because i mean i think the biopsychosocial uh framework was first pitched back in the 70s um and there's obviously been lots of papers on that since so um it's not to say that that thing back in the seventies isn't effective. It was maybe the new idea, but things have updated since then. And, uh, and like I man- mentioned, like Louis Gifford stuff, he passed away, I think in the early two thousands, but his stuff was brilliant. So I think it just maybe depends on what you're looking at and, and deciphering it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Cause some research, it's nice to see that and I'm thinking of somebody in running, for example, I was talking to on one chat live, Dr. Ben O'Nig, who was kind of talking about getting rid of overpronation in kind of like 1985 or something he was mentioning. And then Simon Bartold as well, same sort of thing in the early 1990s. He was saying, can we really say that someone's overpronating? How do you decide? Why has everyone got to be in the middle? And that was back in the 90s, but they just said it first. So it's tricky. Yeah. Definitely depends on the subject. Uh, but you have an, 
Oh, it's so tricky, isn't it? Because a lot of pseudoscience gets supported by the fact it's really old. If the Chinese yeah. did it, it must be true sort of thing. Yeah, yeah um, they've been doing this for a thousand years and it worked. Yeah, it was yeah. an antiquity fallacy, so it's tricky. Um, yeah. yeah, treat everything as an individual. That's always the, question, yeah. uh, the answer at the end, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, Mike Grice here, um, uh, who runs some fantastic courses um, up in Birmingham. Uh, we launched an introduction to research methods for therapists online courses last week. Of course you did, Mike. You are the future. <laughs> we've, been, <laughs> we've been running it as the very first module on our diploma for the last two years. The feedback from our guys has been overwhelmingly positive, fantastic. I mean, Mike is a great source of people in the UK. Um, and I say this wholeheartedly, you know, if you want to check out Forward Thinking, Evolved uh, courses and check out what Mike's putting on. I think Walt Fritz, you know, Walt, don't you? Walt's, yeah, um, yeah, and I've seen on... Mike and I have chatted a little bit and gone back cool. and forth. Yeah, he's doing some yeah. good stuff. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, really good. Really evolved as well. And not afraid to say that he's evolved, you know. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, good stuff. And um, there's another name. If anyone doesn't know Mike, then watch out for Mike. Um, there you go. Mike, is that enough? Ten of eight in the post. Right. Um, so let's go to the next question from our man here. So can people overdo it? Is there a danger? Let's go to the other side of the coin where people are just spending. Can people spend too much time, too much money? And how do you know when you've got a problem? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's like an addiction of reading research yeah. or something. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think it's I think it's like anything. You you've got to have a bit of balance. Um, you know, you could you could go down a rabbit hole and spend all of your time sitting and reading research and doing different things. But but I still go back to that. You know, it's not that you're trying to necessarily confirm your bias all the time. But that advice that Greg gave me is just pick a few people that you like and and follow what they're saying. So I'm sure you could overdo it. And then that could end up being word salad when you're talking to your patients because you've looked at so much of it and are maybe looking at so many different opinions. Um, so I, I'm sure there's a chance to overdo it, but I think I'd rather overdo it than underdo it. Mm. Good answer. Cool. What about, cause one of the, again, the obstacles, the barriers that particularly massage therapists who who don't want to change will use is uh, but science doesn't know everything and and kind of the idea that you you can't always use the evidence there's plenty of things which evidence um hasn't kind of come up with yet which we use so that's why we were chatting a bit before the idea the difference between evidence-based and evidence-informed because you do get some therapists and i so some which i think i think they are too evidence-based for my liking I think they won't do anything that hasn't come up as uh, supported in a quantitative study of some form. Yeah. So how do you see that? Uh, well, I think it's, I think like Eric Mara's funnel, the, um, oh, yeah. I forget exactly what he called it, but the, you know, it's using the best available research, using your clinical experience. Um, and your, your clinical experience is extremely valuable, uh, especially in, in what we do. Um, so, so the, to those people that are saying, oh, you know, it, it's been around for so long and we've done this, nobody's, nobody's saying that your clinical experience doesn't matter, that it doesn't count. Uh, it's important, but it's just one piece of the puzzle. So sure, we can, we can overdo it. And like you said, your example of your friend who's like, oh, if the evidence doesn't say it, I'm not doing it. But then we've also got things that we need to think about, like, what's the patient's preference? Does the patient really like what you're doing? And we got into a little conversation with this and I've got, we've got a, a little group of us uh, here in BC that have a chat on Facebook and the, the whole thing of SOAS came up and um, 
I've got one patient who comes in once a month and about every two to three months, he comes in and wants a psoas treatment. And they're like, well, the evidence shows that you can't even palpate the psoas and that you can't do this. I'm like, yeah, but the guy really likes it. And he thinks it's beneficial for him. If I have somebody that comes in and says they have low back pain, I'm never, ever going to look at them and blame the psoas and say they need a psoas treatment. But this guy just really likes it when we do the psoas treatment. So who am I to tell him that he can't have that? Mm. So, but does he does he complain to you that his back's not getting better? No, he's actually he's big into martial arts, and he just okay. feels that like for rolling around on the mats and all that, he just yeah, likes yeah. to get it loosened up. And I'm like, okay. And and we've had the conversations about you know there's not much evidence. He's like, I don't care. It feels good, and I like it. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so there's a certain amount of that at play too. I mean, there's there's I think we got to play in the middle to some degree. Um, and we've talked a lot about like how the nurses here have unlimited benefits. So there's some nurses that come in and get a treatment every week. So is, does the evidence say that they require a treatment every week? No, but I look at it and go, these are people who are constantly stressed at work. They're constantly moving large bodies around. They're doing all this. Maybe when they're coming in, they just need a break for an hour. Maybe that's their personal time. They just need a break away from, the chores away from work, away from their spouse, away from the kids. Maybe that's just, they just need that hour. And I'm totally fine with that, even though the evidence doesn't support it. So <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, yeah, no, it, so you did. it's yeah. kind of a long rant there, but I, I think that's where our clinical experience or, you know, clinical decision-making has to come into it as well. And that maybe yeah. sometimes people just need a break. Or maybe they're maybe it's just something they really like, and we're giving them that thing that they like, and it's beneficial for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people, if you, if any of you, for example, the people in here, I know the, the names in here, they may well they're trying to kind of preach the good word and that, and you may well come up against ah, oh, but you know, science doesn't know everything, and and you know, you can't always go by the evidence. The evidence shows that you need to take into consideration the client's yeah. individual preferences and perceptions and desires and that's part of the evidence you know it's not yeah. that doesn't go against the idea of evidence um it's very important and we know that you know it has a huge effect on the outcomes um if the client believes in what's happening to them and if they feel comfortable um so yeah it's the approach isn't it and in yeah. case people listen to the podcast um don't understand what we're talking about by psoas this is quite a dividing point in the uk i think um, <laughs> it is here too. Psoas police. <laughs> yeah it's an interesting one because there's still many schools which will treat that as like a level five you want to know more okay here's the psoas release don't tell too many people this is yeah. what you're paying two grand for but it's it's the way it's taught isn't it i mean if it's still taught with the idea that you are releasing a muscle and you're telling a patient that unless you do this manual technique then their iliopsoas or psoas is going to be too short and they need you to do this because otherwise um, they're not going to be able to play their sport or whatever it is that is that then again lends to the evidence which says you could cause that person to become dependent mm -hmm. not feel resilient and robust and strong and catastrophize and you're forcing them in a way to come back to you because yeah. and and you're not i mean that's, that's an ethical thing so yeah it's your approach isn't it you can still give them that release but maybe like you have tell them you know there's not a lot to support this but if you want it that's great we'll still do it yeah if you if you like it and it feels good yeah we'll do it um and that's like that's what we were talking about papers to look at. That's where Darla was really good. Like a lot of his papers talk about client, clinician and community and how that impacts people's pain. And a lot of it talks about, a lot of this stuff talks about how 
our belief system actually gets put onto the patient. So if we're still using those outdated narratives, that's going to get put onto the patient and it's not creating resiliency with them. It's creating a dependence that they have to keep coming back to you. So we, we need to change that language and, and make sure that we're at least trying to educate them a little bit. Definitely. Um, Talking of people who I think have got a problem on addiction, um, Sarah Jones, my whole lockdown has been CBD. I love it. I think that's potentially a sign of maybe um, having a chat with somebody. So I'll send you an email. Vicky Carroll as well. Snap. I love it. I love lockdown. Bring it on. Um, yeah, we have got a few characters in here. who are probably celebrating the pandemic. Well, More time you, study. That's, a, that's a much better addiction than mine. Mine is scotch. So you know, <laughs> education is better than scotch for addiction. <laughs> Uh, Mike Grice said, if you've never reviewed a paper before, have a look at the CASP tool. Um, so there's some tips there from Mike. Um, <laughs> Catherine has come back with, hi, I'm Catherine. I'm addicted to learning. <laughs> <laughs> we need to set up a support group. <laughs> exactly. Sitting around in a circle. But it is. It does. I think there's a danger, especially with the imposter syndrome and stuff. You always feel there's something you need to learn around the corner. And that. Sometimes this expression, oh, I never know anything, and the more you learn, the more you realize you need to know, I think it can be a bit damning because it just maybe, if it falls on the wrong ears, just makes you feel like you've got to keep learning. Otherwise, you're never going to get there. You just add the tools and the tools, and that can yeah. be dangerous, can't it? And I think, I think part of that, too, is who you surround yourself with. Like what other therapists are you talking to and, and who you're surrounding yourself with because some of the – some of the most encouraging things that I've ever had is where I'm sitting there going, I'm not smart enough. And then Corey Blickenstaff pokes me in the shoulder and goes, you need to present at San Diego pain summit. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and he's like, no, we need massage therapists up there. You should be one of the ones doing it. And I'm like, uh, no, but you know, you, you get around those people that, that actually believe in you and, and sit there. So, you know, if you're, if you're still around people that are telling you, you don't know enough, maybe you need to change your crowd or something like that, but you know, yeah. surround yourself with supportive people and who you can bounce ideas off of and who you can have these chats with. Great advice. Good advice. Um, Oh, look, Bonnie's here talking about, oh, there you go. Great minds. Bonnie, thanks for joining us again. Bonnie was our guest last week talking about hypermobility and a great eye, eye opener. It's fantastic. Thanks, Bonnie, for joining us. It was a really great show last week. Um, Bonnie says, addicted to learning as well. I'm known as a course. Oh, I'm not going to repeat that, Bonnie. A fellow Canadian. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> fellow Canadian. Um, we, every time we've got a Canadian person, it happened with Greg as well. Um, happened with Alice. Where's Alice? Oh, no, she's Missouri. But yeah, um, um, yeah parents warnings and all of these episodes oh, yeah. uh, thanks bonnie yeah thanks so bonnie is a course whore everybody there we go i've said it um yeah well have you seen her cv though you don't have you met bonnie before she's from canada you must know her well they she's it. from canada I'd love to, though. um she yeah we had a great episode last week really good thanks bonnie for showing that um and if you are a course whore, Becky Carroll has said, we'll join the STA. Well, there you go. Because there's, oh, we're not going to go down that road. Right. Okay. So let's, um, there's me some great advice there. I just want to go back to your website because you've got some fantastic um, stuff on there. Let's bring this up on the screen. What have you got happening? I imagine still it's all very much online, but have you got anything coming up in terms of courses? And you've already mentioned that you've got the membership thing. What else can people expect to find there? Yeah, um, I was before we hopped on today. I was just working on the sales page for my online course. So I have an online course about pain science and therapeutic exercise. So it's it's a lot about coming up with your own pain analogies to be able to to talk to your patients, um, to educate them about pain a little bit more, and then 
how to start using graded exposure and understanding when it's appropriate to use an isometric, a concentric, and eccentric, and how you can do all that right in your treatment room. You don't need a fancy gym to go and do that stuff. It can, it's, you can do it right on a, right on the table in your room, no matter how big your room is. So that's sort of the, the point behind the course. And then, yeah, the membership is, you know, there's monthly tutorials and educational within the membership. Uh, like I said, I was working on, working on one on central sensitization. So it's a, you know, me basically putting out the content and then having group discussions once a month to, to rehash some of that stuff and look at some of the research. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then doing live courses with Eric and traveling around a little bit. And hopefully we can make it to the UK one day. Have you presented here before? I'm not sure. No. Have you been here? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we'll sort that out. We'll have to sort that out. Mike. <laughs> um, so, yeah, actually, I've got to actually say, sorry, Bonnie is not from Canada at all. She's from America. It was my mistake. Sorry, Bonnie. That's uh, our, yeah, our neighbors. Right. That's all you danced for America, didn't you? You didn't dance for Canada. It's true. Yeah. Um, ballet. Sorry, Bonnie. Um, so, yeah, very exciting. I mean, there's a lot of demand now. I like it for um, kind of pain science and understanding pain, particularly how to convey that information to patients. That's a massive part of it, isn't it? We had Mike Stewart the other day. I don't know if you're aware of it. He's, he's oh, yeah. done Sandy. You know Mike, don't he? No pain, um, no fant- gain. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic um, uh, educator. That's I think, but again, another thing I'm not sure if we've mentioned, but I think another thing about who do I go to? Find someone who you just like their voice. You like their ambiance, the way they present. You like their kind of, you know, just demeanor. Cause that's the really important thing in learning. Not everybody is going to like listening to Laura Mosley. Maybe not everyone likes the Australian accent. They don't like the humor, you know? So although we kind of generally praise him and say, you, you've got to watch the snake story. It'll just change your life. Uh, it might not be your cup of tea, as we totally. say in England. Totally. Um, so yeah, I think it's important. So you, for example, I, mean, I love the way you present and your stuff. I love the podcast you're doing, but it might not be your cup of tea. So no one's saying you have to listen to anyone. Just find somebody you like and follow them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even when I when I started blogging and John and I were talking about you know how to get going and all that, he's he goes, Jamie, he goes, there's ten thousand personal trainers out there that are all blogging about how to do a bench press. And he's like, it's just that the people who like the way you say it are going to follow you, and the ones that don't don't. So yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Um, I'm sure there's plenty that don't like the Canadian accent and don't like that. I swear a lot and have a mouth like a sailor and that's fine, (laughs) but you know, um, yeah, find the people that you like and find the people who you feel like you can connect with. And, um, the, I think the, the great thing about most of those people that we've mentioned today is if you reach out to them, they'll help you. That's another thing. It's true. You know, like I'll never forget meeting Ben Cormack at San Diego pain summit and, and I was like, Ben, I need some help with this. And he's like, okay, what do you need? And since then, send him the odd email. Same with Corey, same with Greg. Send him the odd email. Have you got this? Yeah, take it. Here it is. Take it. Run with it. Go, go, go. And same thing. If I've got information that I can share with you, fire me an email. I'm happy to send you whatever I've got that will help you out. But I think most of the most of those people that are um, that you'll see as presenters at San Diego Pain Summit and stuff like that are very open and giving people, and they're only too happy to share and and try to make you better if they can help you out. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out to them, even though it probably feels a bit of imposter syndrome thinking, Oh, this person's up here. And I, you know, I I still want to ask Mike Stewart something. I'm I'm sure if you fired him an email, Mike would only be too happy to share some content with you. Yeah. That's a good trait, mate. Very good. Right. It's um, 8.59. So 
we've reached that time again. Um, thanks, people, for joining us. Um, and thanks to my guest, Jamie. Um, if you listen to the podcast and you've missed the screenshots and that, then it's go to the website, the T-H-E, and now get this bit right because it's mtdc.com, okay? Standing for the Massage Therapist Development Center. Um, that's when you want to go to loads of free information on there um, and also details of courses and things coming up. Um, Em's come back. I've loved Em's questions. So I'm going to let Em have the last mention tonight on the show. So, Matt, <clears throat> let's have your list of this stuff technique is evidence and this stuff is poop so I can research from Jamie's list of names and decide if I should listen to you or not. Okay, I'll email you, Em. But I bet Jamie and myself are very much on the same page. So you can take it from either of us. <laughs> um, I'm just really conscious of not – I hate the echo chamber more than anything, and I've taken a rest from Run Chat Live because after the last conference I did – um, I just felt it was just everyone who was watching was like already on the page. There was no one new there. So I'm just wary of just contributing to the echo chamber. So I'm, I'm hoping that if you listen to the podcast, that you are somebody who doesn't know Jamie. Yeah, somebody who maybe doesn't know me, even you don't know me that distant from the world. That's but crazy. That's my goal. I know. How can that possibly be? But I really hope that you have because um, you might not follow the people or our guests, but at least it's exposing you. And that's the goal of the STA podcast to expose you to people you haven't met before. So, and also for you guys in the Facebook to come and rub each other's shoulders and support each other, which is great to see as well. So thanks guys for joining us. Jamie, what you got planned for the rest of the day? Uh, just working on, on stuff for the website. So some blogging stuff and that, and uh, yeah, that's about it. And just uh, give you a huge thank you to, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, especially to connect with some people over in the UK and uh, just keep up the great work that you're doing because we, we need more people that are that are sharing this message and getting the information out. So I appreciate all the work that you're putting into it as well. Very kind. Right. Thanks, people. We'll be back next Tuesday. Um, I can't remember the top of my head who it's with, but we will have more fantastic information and guests for you. So join us at 8 o'clock um, and we'll see you soon. Take care um, and look after each other. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.